Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to still stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whatever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Fabs, if you're new here. Um, And we're so excited to have you guys with us. If, If you have not been here the past few weeks, we've been going through a series about the habits or the practices of Jesus and trying to follow him by imitating that in our life, by by trying to take those practices and put them into play in our life. We've used the words practices and habits a lot, and so I'm going to take a second before we dive in and and split them apart. Habits are things that we do instinctively. They're things that we don't have to think about. Most of our routines throughout our day, our, our sweet brain helps us out by putting them in the habit category so it can free up our minds to think about things. Habits happen without you having to think about the processes. Like you don't have to remember how to eat food, right? You don't have to remember how to sleep. Well, some of us don't have to remember how to sleep. Driving home from work, sometimes you get in that mode where you just drive. It's because it's a habit. Just happens for us. Habits have cues and routines, okay? So uh, we have a cue, and that's like uh, something that, like a tripwire in your brain that goes off that lets you know it's time to kick into this habit. And then your brain automatically does that routine. And the thing that drives that cycle in a habit is craving. I know that sounds weird, but habits are driven by craving. It's like your brain is so used to this cue and this routine that when it has that cue, it starts craving the routine. And if you don't do it, it gets a little bit uncomfortable, right? This is why, like, you know, brushing your teeth has become for all of us, hopefully, in our lives, a habit. And we have the cue that's getting ready for bed, and that's why it can be 9 p.m. and you're sitting on the couch with your friends and you're not even thinking about brushing your teeth, or it can be 9 p.m. and you're in bed and you haven't brushed your teeth and you can feel this, like, your your teeth feel gritty and you can't even think about anything else. That's because it's a habit. And there's a cue, getting ready for bed, that, that kind of trips that wire in your brain and it starts craving the sensation of having your teeth be cleaned because you're so used to this habit. But how did that become a habit? How did that craving get there? 
because I, I spent a few days this week with my nieces, and they are working, they're working really hard on brushing their teeth, but they do not crave it. Um, they were totally happy to go to bed without brushing their teeth. It's very much a conscious process. It's a, a battle, if you will, to get them to brush their teeth. And, and how did it become, for me, a habit when, for them, it's something they resist, they don't want? That's where our second keyword, practice, kicks in. Practice creates habit. If you practice a cue and a routine over and over and over again, your brain gets so used to that pathway that that's why it begins to crave it. That's why it begins to create an unconscious pattern that we call a habit. So as we've been going through this series, you may be like me, and like last week, Mark talked about scripture before screen. That sounds awesome. I, I love the idea of being a person who wakes up and craves like a moment with Jesus before I reach for my phone. But that craving is not there yet. And if, if I wait for it to come before I do that practice, it will never come because the way to cultivate that craving is through the practice. The more I do that, the more I practice praying to Jesus before picking up my phone, the more my brain will get used to that and it will begin to crave it. So as we've been going through this series, we've been looking at these practices and forming these praxis groups where you can practice together in order that we would cultivate these habits, these cravings. We begin to crave the things of God. Hopefully that makes sense. So I'm going to put this candle over here. I don't need it yet. It's a prop. Um, okay, so today's habit that we're looking at is lifting others in prayer. So we've got our praxis grid, if Katie can throw that up. This is hard to see, I know, from far away, because I've been sitting there and it's hard to see. But you can find it on our website. And we're going through this inner circle right now. Each one of these four pictures you see in that daily circle are habits we've been looking at. And today we're going to look at lift others in prayer. And if you've been with us, you may notice that we've already talked about prayer a little bit before. We talked about prayerfully connecting with God three times a day. And it may seem a little strange that we have two prayer habits, two prayer practices that we're looking at, but it's because if we zoom in a little bit here, we can see this X axis, 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 yep, and that is X, right? Not Y. Yes, thank you. Okay, and it moves towards loving God and loving your neighbor, okay? And those things are not in opposition. Ignore that. Don't let that distract you. But what I love about this is there's a kind of prayer that moves us towards loving God. There's a kind of prayer that connects us with God. And there's a kind of prayer that connects us with people. There's a kind of prayer that is the most loving thing that we can do to connect with people. And that's what we're going to look at today. The churchy word for it is intercession. Intercession. It just means lifting other people up in prayer. So we're going to recap the scripture that, that Scott read for us. Scott read for us. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let me kind of summarize it for you. In the beginning, Paul was talking about this struggle that's happening, this spiritual battle with all these cosmic powers and weird things. And he says, in light of that, put on the full armor of God. And he kind of breaks down for us what the armor of God is. And if you've been around church for any amount of time, you might have heard this passage before, and so often we think that's where it ends. We think that's the end of this passage. If you were summarizing it when you walked out of here, that might be how you summarize it. There's this battle going on, and therefore we should put on the armor of God. But that's actually not how this passage ends. We've got Paul. He says there's this struggle going on. There's this battle going on. Therefore, put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, and then pray for each other. Right? There's a third section in this sequence. There's a context, the spiritual struggle that's happening. Then we put on our armor to prepare for something, and then the action we take is that we pray for each other. We intercede. 
right? He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We can get distracted by one of those three things, by either the context, because there's a lot of weird spiritual words in that whole spiritual battle concept. We can get distracted by the armor of God because that's a thing we can love that imagery. We can get our heads around it. And we can miss entirely this call to action that is for us to pray for each other in light of the context. So let's start with the context. Let's kind of break that down a little bit. We're going to put on the armor of God, and we're going to pray for each other because there's something happening. There's some spiritual battle happening, says Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's a cosmic battle going on around us. And Katie, if you can throw, perfect. This is that text. I've kind of highlighted for you guys in red all the things that I'm uncomfortable with <laughs> about this. I think it's a little weird. I don't like when people talk about the devil's schemes. That sounds like something like some distant relative is doing on Facebook, telling me about the devil's schemes. Um, I'm not big into like the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world, but I really don't like spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. That like makes my mind a little perplexed and confused. And I feel like this is just, it's just a lot for a Sunday at 10 a.m., but this is the context in which Paul is telling us to put on the armor of God and to pray for each other. And I've been thinking this week that, that maybe my intercession practice, my habit of lifting others in prayer is lacking because I don't like this context and I skip it. And if I'm honest, I don't really believe in it. Like, I believe in it because I'm supposed to, but I don't believe in it, <laughs> you know? And because of that, maybe that's part of why I, I don't intercede. I don't lift others in prayer the way that Jesus did. Right. It's like in other places in the world, people might hear this and be like, yeah, no, for real, there's a spiritual battle going on. There's something really crazy happening with powers and authorities and forces of dark and forces of evil in this world. And in other countries, I know there are people who've seen things that I haven't seen, but like as a privileged Westerner, I believe the narrative that I get to control what happens in my day. And for the most part, I, I feel, I've been told I'm in charge of it. I'm, I get to create my own American dream. I get to build my own life. That's the privilege I have as a Westerner, right? I've been told I have this privilege. I have the privilege to assume or to pretend or to operate like this context doesn't exist. But that's where my privilege ends. I have the privilege to operate like it doesn't exist, but I don't have the privilege to make it not exist, right? I can I can assume it's not real, but that doesn't change whether or not it's real. And, and it could be that maybe this spiritual battle just looks a little different in the West. Maybe it looks a little bit more like consumerism and distraction and a battle for our attention and keeping us busy and keeping us moving. And, and maybe it even looks like complacent, complacency, like maybe part of the spiritual battle here that we're in is not even believing that there's a spiritual battle, right? Uh, in a, The Usual Suspects movie, one of my favorite quotes, he says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled off was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Like, maybe we are in a spiritual battle, and what we consider our privilege of assuming it's not real is actually the attack to distract us from how very real it is. Either way, this context is the context in which Paul is telling us to put on the armor of God and pray for each other. In light of this very real spiritual battle, put on the armor of God and pray for each other. Right? He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That verse, verse 18, breaks down for us how we are to intercede, how we do it, how we pray for each other. The first thing is in the spirit, right? Pray in the spirit. And then he says, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and I've kind of summarized that as all kinds of ways, that's my summary. We're gonna pray in the spirit, in all kinds of ways, and then he says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's this evoking of passion that we do it with all our heart, with urgency, okay? So those are the three things we're gonna talk through. We're gonna pray for one another. We're gonna lift one another in prayer, in the spirit, in all kinds of ways, all occasions, all prayers, all kinds of requests, with all our heart, okay? So let's start with in the spirit. When we intercede, when we come before God and we lift someone else in prayer, that begins by partnering with the Spirit. It begins by acknowledging what the Spirit is already doing and, and stepping into that, stepping into the Spirit. Um, if we look back at our praxis grid, we can see the y-axis, which at the bottom says release. And I love that idea that, that lifting others in prayer is the thing that we do that moves us towards loving people. And it's also the thing we do that moves us towards releasing, towards like loosening our grip and surrendering to God. Because for me, intercession is often not about releasing. It's more about controlling, right? I like to use, it's like I have this toolbox of, of tools that I can use to control people. <laughs> And not always in a bad way, like you notice someone doing something, you're like, that's not healthy for them, that's not good for them, I'm worried about them. And so I want them to stop doing that, so I, I have all these tools. I could have a conversation with them, uh, I could have a fight with them, or if I don't like conflict, I could pull out this other tool, intercession, and then I can pray for God to control them. I can control them through intercession. I can control God to control them through intercession. That's sometimes how we use intercession. That's sometimes how we use lifting others in prayer. And the problem with that is if you do it for any amount of time, you start to feel like this doesn't work. And the truth is, if you use prayer, if you use intercession to try to control people or try to control God, you're, you're right, it, it doesn't work. It's not designed for that function and it won't work. But true intercession begins with stepping into the spirit, re releasing, stepping into what the spirit is already praying for someone. Oswald Chambers says, true intercession involves bringing the person or the circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God until you are changed by his attitude toward that person or circumstance. People describe intercession by saying it is putting yourself in someone else's place, but that is not true. Intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It's having his mind and his perspective. So we want to intercede in this spirit. We want to step into what God's doing in it. And it helps us want to do that when we remember our context, when we remember that this isn't a battle against flesh and blood, right? That, that temptation to use this as a tool to control people kicks in partially because we think what their behavior is, their circumstance, whatever they're doing, that's our enemy, and we want to fix it. But when we remember there's a spiritual, supernatural thing happening here and, and our intercession is a tool in that battle, it helps us need to step into the spirit because we can't even see the fullness of that context. Right, so we step into the spirit, we partner with him, we get a bigger picture of what's happening and that helps us know better how to even intercede, right? Instead of, you know, when you're in the grocery store and that person in front of you is like pulling out a billion coupons, I'm sorry if you're that person, but I'm the person behind you who's like, this. 
It's so frustrating. And instead of feeling that like, okay, well, I guess I have this tool of intercession. Lord, please help this person go faster. <laughs> instead of that, I can step into the spirit. I can, I can broaden the context. I can see with spiritual eyes. I can look beyond like the coupons and, and see the like worry lines around this person's face and, and imagine with the spirit what might be going on in their life and intercede in that. Not, not with them as my enemy, but aware of this cosmic thing that's happening with that person as my partner, bringing them into the presence of God with the Spirit and interceding for them. Okay, so praying in the Spirit, that's the first thing we're going to do. And I know a lot of this today is a lot of like spiritual, churchy language, so I was trying to think about how to make it more practical. Like, What does it practically look like to pray in the Spirit? And I think the the... The text helps us a little bit. Like if you're sitting down, you're like, okay, I'm going to intercede today for my spouse. And you're trying to think, okay, how do I get in the spirit? How do I release, right? It could begin for you with kind of bullets pointing out that armor of God and, and practicing putting that on before and as you intercede, right? So you just had a fight with your spouse. You're so frustrated with them. You come and you're like, okay, I'm supposed to pray for them. And I'm not supposed to like try to control their behavior, but their behavior is super annoying. And then you just think, okay, do I have truth, like, around my waist, like, in my gut? Is truth around my waist, okay? And, and, and am I feeling the rightness of my position before God, that I have nothing to earn, that nothing's been taken from me by this fight, that I'm, that I'm good, and that I have this helmet of salvation, I'm safe, I have a Savior, I don't need that from my spouse, I have this shield of faith, those lies that are coming at me, that they don't care about me, that they don't love me, I can, I can extinguish that. And I can take up this sword of the spirit that is the word of God, and then I can pray. I can pray for them with that releasing that is the process of putting on the armor of God. Um, and for me, I've been practicing this with scripture because, I, you know, the, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So I've just picked a passage. I picked Ephesians, some, someplace in Ephesians 1 where Paul's like breaking down prayers for people. And every day I just pick one person and I journal through them. I have like this thing of cards that uh, has people's names on it, and it has things that I would like to control about that person. That's how I normally do intercession. It's like, this is the person. Here's what I want to change about them. Um, sometimes it's more godly than that, but not always. Uh, but I've just instead been taking that passage and then taking the next name on the card, and just every day I pick one person. I just journal through that passage for them. And some days it's like nothing. It's like I know this passage inside out. Now I've been journaling through it for a while, and so it's kind of boring. And some days I remember this process of, like, praying in the Spirit, and it feels like I can imagine and get my head around this reality that the Spirit has been praying these words that are written down for this person, like, long before I got here, before I arrived with my morning coffee. He'd already been doing that, and I'm climbing into it, and, and I'm not leaving me behind. I'm bringing me to, I'm bringing the things on my card and the things I care about, my humanity, my personhood, my mixed motives. I'm bringing all of that into this presence of God with the Spirit who's already been praying, and I'm bringing that person with me too. And together, the, the, the three of us, the Spirit and me and this person are before the Father asking him to move. And it's been kind of cool and sweet. So... That's been good. I do think it can feel like praying in the spirit means you have to like, you know, fix those mixed motives, not be too controlling before you start interceding. And so I love that Paul says right after he says pray in the spirit, he says pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, right? It's like 
He understands that we might have this feeling when we understand the context of this cosmic battle and we understand like we need to pray in the spirit that we might be like, okay, well, some of these requests I have are kind of worldly or too small or probably have mixed motives and I kind of do want to control this person. And, and I think the beautiful thing is we don't have to fix all that before we intercede. We bring all that with us into the presence, into the spirit. We let, him, we let him help transform us. We let him help intercede with us. We have a guide. We have a person who's doing this with us in the Holy Spirit. So we can bring all that. You can bring your mixed motives. And you can pray on all occasions. I love that because I'm the kind of person who's like, if I was listening, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to really need to work on my intercession. So first, let me make a notebook that is going to track when I'm going to intercede. And then let me plan a five-hour <laughs> retreat where I can have the perfect cup of coffee and the perfect lighting. Oh, and if it isn't the perfect lighting, I probably can't intercede this week. I'll just wait. I need, like, the perfect occasion, you know. Um, but the truth is you can do it on all occasions, you can intercede in the car while your kids are screaming. You can intercede at the grocery store, like I said, for that person in front of you in line. You can intercede right now for the person sitting next to you because it's a spiritual realm we're dealing with. There's no place you have to get to. There's, there's no request that's too small or too silly. We have a good father who wants to hear everything we have to say. We can bring all of ourselves into the presence of God, and we can pray in the spirit. And the last little part I want to touch on here about about our intercession is that we want to do it with all our heart, right? Verse 18 says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. The message translation says, pray long and hard. Pray with intention, like alertness, right? It makes sense in light of this context, in light of these weird things that Paul is talking about, like evil in the heavenly realms and like powers and authorities and the devil schemes, things that Fabs doesn't like, in light of that, it does make sense that we would want to pray fervently with all of our heart. Um, when I was a kid in seventh grade, me and my BFF used to do this thing where it was like, we would say, 11-11, make a wish. Does anyone else ever do this? Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Um, it's like 11, 11 a.m., like the time on the clock, or 11, 11 p.m. You see that time when the clock turns, you get to make a wish. Like, make that boy like me, you know. We also used to do it with our necklaces, like when the clasp touched the charm, you'd kiss it, move the clasp to the back, and make a wish. And the truth is, sad confession, a lot of time that is what my intercession is like. Like a friend will be like, hey, will you pray for me about this? And I'm like, got it, <laughs> done, pray, Lord help. It's more like throwing a wish or a mantra upward, heavenly, hoping someone will catch it. It's like an instinct or a reflex. Sometimes it's just like the praying hands emoji sent back. It's not often that I'm like, get on my knees, pray with all my heart, go into the presence of God, and intercede. That's what I want. That's who I want to be for you, but it's not who I am. It's mostly just this, got it, you know, but... If we intercede with all our hearts, if we do the thing where we like really come before God and with all alertness and we pray long and hard, we're going to find that intercession has this power to create like incredible, mysterious, wondrous unity. Like really knit you together with people in a way that you, you, you can't otherwise experience. Um, I was listening to a podcast on Friday, Beth Moore was on it, and she said this thing. She said, you can't pray for anyone long before you love them. 
you can't pray for anyone long before you love them. And I was hearing that, I was like, Beth Moore doesn't do these kind of prayers, I guess, because you can do those all day long <laughs> and not love people. You can just, got it, praying for you, covered. But true, praying with all your heart, like investing emotionally, investing spiritually, it's hard to do that and not care, not knit together with that person in love. Uh, it forms this like alliance right, because you're coming together against this context, against this battle that's coming, and you're bringing that person and the two of you together before God are interceding in something, you're in partnership around that, and it forms this investment, right, in the same way when we invest our money, our heart follows, we, we want to see what's going on. When I invest money in something, I follow it in the news, I want to know what the latest update is, I care about it. Same with our emotions, when we invest emotionally, when we invest spiritually, we care. I have a friend a couple of weeks ago who a dear loved one was in the ICU just super sick and she was like hey will you pray and so I did and and I love this friend and, and it was a little bit easier because I care about her so much to get on my knees and have that with all our heart kind of prayer and I tell you what I noticed I didn't have to do the thing where like next time I saw her we were just catching up and she's like you know hey here's the update on this person and I'm like oh yeah yeah tell me what's going on it wasn't like that I was texting her like every day, what's the latest? How's he doing? What are the doctors saying? What's going on? Because I cared because I was invested. I wanted those updates. And I've felt that on the other side. Like I don't know if anyone in here has ever been through like, you know, like there's bad seasons and then there's like not gonna make it seasons. And in the not gonna make it seasons, you know that feeling where you're like, I don't know how to make it through the next five minutes. Like I just don't know how to do this second and you send out that text that's like, hey, I need prayer. And, and if you've been that person, then you know the difference between someone being like praying for you and you're like, I don't think you understand where I'm at, and someone who's like, I'm praying for you. And you can feel it. If you've been on the receiving end of this, if you've been on the receiving end of someone praying for you with all your heart, you, I have felt my lungs expand like with the next breath believing someone is keeping me alive in this. Someone is before me in this battle, holding up my arms, helping me keep going. We intercede because there's a cosmic battle. And we intercede in the spirit, in all ways, all occasions, all kinds of prayers, with all our heart. And last thing here is when we've done that, we know we've done everything. Paul, at the, be the beginning of this text, Paul instructs them to put on the armor and pray. And he says, do this so that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. He's saying, do this, put on the armor of God and pray. And when you've done that, you're going to know you've done everything you can to stand in this battle. This is all you've got to stand in this battle. The armor of God and praying for each other. And when you've done that, you can know you've done everything to stand in this battle. Um, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but like every time there's a natural disaster or something horrible on the news and all the Christians come out of the woodwork and they're like, pray for this city or pray for these people, there's this backlash of like, hey, could, we could use a little more than your prayers. <laughs> like, can you do some action, Christians? And I think part of that is because the world senses that for a lot of us, especially on social media, it's a lot of these kind of prayers, you know, like, for you. Um, and I also think it's, it's partially that backlash happens because real prayer, like real intercession, the kind where you're invested, 
is going to play out in action, right? When you're invested, you are going to act, right? Corey Ten Boom says, if we are true intercessors, we must be ready to take part in God's work on behalf of the people for whom we pray. But I also think when that backlash happens, that, that there is a truth to the fact that we think somewhere underneath us in deep places in our heart that like it doesn't really accomplish anything. Like intercession doesn't really do anything. Uh, I, I think if I'm honest, that is my personal, my biggest obstacle to intercession. It's like I feel like God's going to do what God's going to do I'm not sure that I believe functionally that my intercession is, is making a wave, is making a dent in the world. Like the friend I was telling you about, her loved one died after I interceded. And I, I have long COVID. I've had long COVID for going on 19 months. I can't even tell you the number of people who've prayed over me. And I walk away from those prayer sessions and I feel like there's not, not even a part of me, I'm not even expectant for God to move. I'm, I'm not even disappointed he hasn't because my expectations are so low on, on what intercession can accomplish. I just don't think it's going to do anything. I'm, I'm a cynical interceder, and I was not always this way, right? This is what the brokenness of the world has done to me. Disappointment, loss, prayer after prayer that feels unanswered. This is the result. I struggle to believe that intercession is accomplishing something. And in our uh, staff meeting this week, I was kind of feeling out, does anyone else feel this way? Like, maybe, maybe it doesn't work. And Jim Stafford, who's just the best person in the world besides Jesus, was like, I think it's just that we have like an incomplete view, like an incomplete picture of what's happening. And how like perfect is that with what this text is saying, right? That is part of what Paul is saying is that this, this amazing weapon we have that is the power of praying for each other, it's fighting a battle that we can't even see, and we have an incomplete picture of the battle itself, and we certainly have an incomplete picture of what it's accomplishing. And if we could zoom out, we would see that our prayers are, are knit together with the will of God to accomplish something, that they're actually doing something inside of space and time and inside of whatever is going on in these heavenly realms, right? Uh, one last little story here. The night that he died, Jesus um, was, you know, hanging out with his disciples, praying, and he looks at Peter, one of his disciples, and he said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And I totally forgot about this verse until, like, two days ago. And when I was thinking about it, I was like, this is so crazy because... First of all, I just think it's so cool that Jesus was praying for Peter. <laughs> like, he was interceding. He was God, and he was doing the practice, the habit that we're talking about of getting on his knees and praying for his friend. He was praying for Peter, and it was because of this battle that he knew was going on that Satan was asking to sift Peter like wheat, and he said, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed for Peter. He interceded, and he prayed so that Peter's faith would not fail. And you fast forward a few hours in that night, and I don't know if you know the story, but Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. And I can only imagine what he felt that night. Like, can you imagine, Peter, you've just, like, betrayed your God, you've given your whole life for, and you're sitting there, 
and you're remembering that he prayed for you, that your faith wouldn't fail, and it just did. It just failed. And I wonder if he was tempted to think that, like, that, that Jesus' prayer didn't work, that his intercession didn't accomplish anything, right? But we, we have the luxury that Peter didn't have, that we can flip a few pages further in the story, and we can see that Jesus is going to resurrect, and that the faith Peter needs is going to be for a longer-term game than just that one night. We, we can fast forward, and we can see the Peter who's willing to jump off the boat and, like, fling himself into the sea, and, and we can see the Peter that Jesus is going to look at and say, on your, on your back, I'm going to build this church. You're going to be the rock for this church. We can flip forward to Acts, and we can see Peter leading the church. We can flip forward in our Bibles, and we see half of the New Testament written by this guy. His faith didn't fail. It just looked like it did, right? And it's the same is true in our own lives. We have these moments where it feels like intercession is accomplishing nothing, but if we zoom out, we're going to see it in its full context.